So in the in the evening talks and in the instructions through through this this past week, we've been exploring aging, sickness, and death, and we've also brought in a little bit of uh, of of birth in the in the context of birth giving rise to death, arisings leading to passings, and the logical question that that follows on that, at least my logic and the logic of a few people who wrote down questions, is, well, what about after death? What next? What about, what about reincarnation or rebirth? And so I'd like to speak a little bit about this um, this evening. Um, of course, um, I have to say again that um, that what I have to say about rebirth and reincarnation isn't <laughs> coming from experience, or at least, <laughs> or at least from remembered experience. <laughs> but there is, but there is an element of experience in it, which, which, which I'll come to. Uh, first of all, I might just mention these these two words, reincarnation and rebirth, which are very often used interchangeably and very often confused and there is actually um, a subtle a subtle difference and it's a difference that's that's a little bit difficult to explain and a little bit even more difficult to really understand but reincarnation is based is primarily a Hindu um, philosophy belief um, maybe a truth don't know um, which um, which is based on the principle of there being a soul or a spirit that transmigrates from one birth to the next. So there's there's a there's a continuity of a of a self that that dies and is and carries on and is reborn in another body. In in Buddhism, of course, um, everything is impermanent. So there is no concept of a permanent soul or spirit that that passes on. But there is um, there is and I'll. I hope I'll come to this and speak a little bit about it during the talk. There is conditioned arising, which we've we've spoken of, and so the 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 death of one being becomes a condition for the arising of another being, even though nothing actually crosses over. And um, I'm always trying to think up examples to to try and demonstrate this. The um, the the traditional example is lighting a candle. When you light the match, you go you light the candle, and the candle then has a flame, but the match still has its flame. So the 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 flame of the match is the condition, or one of the conditions for the candle flame, but they're two separate flames. The, the, there's nothing. There's no flame that's transferred. It's just one ignites the other. One conditions the other. Another example I've thought of is when you've got a row of dominoes and you push the first one over. The one falling over becomes the condition for the next one falling over and then the next one falls and the next one. So one is a condition for the next, but of course they're separate dominoes. Nothing from the first domino ends up as part of the second domino. They still have their apparently independent existence. Okay, so that's 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 essentially the difference between reincarnation and rebirth, and and of course the Buddhist the Buddhist view is rebirth rather than reincarnation. 
So where to where to begin with this? Buddhism has um, has quite a um, quite a vast mythology and cosmology about what happens um, with rebirth and what happens at the time of birth and after birth. And it's a little complicated because the different traditions of Buddhism have different <laughs> different mythologies and cosmologies and put varying degrees of, of importance on it. And the the, um, the the tradition which has kind of carried it to its furthest and has has written the most and described the most and and has the most vivid imagery and the most um, elaborate rituals is the Tibetan tradition. And I'll just speak a little bit about about the Tibetan tradition because um, it um, it kind of highlights the 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 main the main points. So in in the Tibetan tradition, when when a person dies, um, the the life force, as as Molly described with her father, the, the 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 life force, whatever it is, it's something that can't be named, but something something leaves, and when that leaves, that's whatever whatever that is, that life force, that's that that's a condition that becomes a condition for a kind of a carrying on of a life force. And what happens is with that carrying on at the time of death that that life force leaves the one body and it goes it enters into what's um, what's labeled the intermediate state or the bardo in the in the Tibetan language. And it's intermediate because it's it's intermediate, it's in between the past life and the next life. And what happens during that intermediate state, during the bardo, is that one's life is reviewed. One's whole past life kind of flashes by, and and we we hear so we hear stories of this. We hear how people near death see their whole past life go flashing by, and this is what the Tibetans say happens in the bardo. So there's the the seeing of of the whole past of the whole past life flashing by and and what what the the consciousness is attracted to or repelled by the strongest influences from the past are are very strong determinants of how the rebirth will be and it's determined uh, it's it's determined so the the rebirth is determined very much by what is clung to and what's pushed away. Just just to uh, to backtrack a little bit um, related to this, because the rebirth is determined by what's clung to and what's pushed away, in order to have a favorable rebirth, it's very important to die in a state of peace and calmness. And so the, the meditation practice becomes very important at the time of death in order to have the calmness of mind to not react when all these past, all these past experiences flash by, to be able to stay steady, to die with calmness in order to be able to stay steady and to stay present and not get caught in the, the grasping and the, the pushing away 
And so, so, so having the meditation practice at the time of death is very important. And also what's important is having people around kind of supporting you in the passing and, and um, keeping you comfortable and helping, helping you with, with ease. And um, and then and after you die, even the it's believed that that even after death, the the being, the consciousness, there's still hearing consciousness, and the person or the being or the energy or whatever it is can still hear the voices, and so chanting and prayers and wishes for well-being and wishes for easy passing. So all of this is considered to be very important, even once the 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 consciousness is in the bardo realm so having having this calmness and then the the um, the, the clinging and the aversion and the delusion being the forces which determine the next birth and so the next birth isn't really the same person so so you can't really say that I, I can't really say that I've been reborn, but there's been a rebirth conditioned by my life. Okay, so when I die, my life will condition a new birth. Okay, does that make any sense? <laughs> okay, so that's so that's that's the 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 Tibetan principle, and then the rebirth. The rebirth, and, and this is common to all the traditions. So uh, um, a, a difference between the Tibetan and the, the Theravada tradition, which is the tradition of Southeast Asia that insight meditation comes from, is that in the Theravada tradition, there's, um, there's no real strongly held view on... Uh, I, I, I should mention that the bardo, the bardo state lasts for up to 49 days. So you can spend up to 49 days kind of wandering through this stage, encountering all your past life. If you grasp at something sooner than that, you'll be reborn more quickly. But with calmness, it can go on and on, and there's more possibility of choosing how the next birth will be. So in the in the Theravada tradition, there isn't so much of a fixed view of how long this is or what happens during this time. But what's common between the traditions is that the rebirth can happen, and this is where the cosmology and mythology comes in, the rebirth can happen in different realms. There are different realms of existence. And so one of these, one of the realms is the human realm. And then there are all kinds of hell realms. And, um, and the, the suttas go into into very detailed descriptions of the different hell realms. There's there's one um, there's one collection of oh several dozen discourses given by um, one of the monks who had the power to see beings in these different realms, and he describes all these hell realms. And boy, <laughs> just reading about them is hell. <laughs> so some of some of the milder ones are um, are the the intensely hot hells, the fiery hells and the freezing hells. And then there's others that um, involve the body being pierced by hundreds of spears and, and bodies hanging on, um, on meat hooks. And, 
you know, it just goes on and on. <laughs> um, body being slashed, like slashed with razors. <laughs> so, so there's the possibility of being born, of, the, of, of rebirth in one of these hell realms. But then there are also the heaven realms, and there are also many heavenly realms. And, and the heavenly realms, for the most part, are very easy, very enjoyable, very pleasant places to be with, with very long lives and, um, and just, uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful place to exist. And, um, and, however, and, and it, it, can, it can seem in, in the heaven realms, and one of the difficulties with heaven realm is that it can seem so pleasant that there's no, it can feel like there's no dukkha. But there actually is dukkha, and, and it, it shows in that the different heaven realms don't get along with each other. <laughs> and some think that they're better than others. <laughs> so so there's, there's still the dukkha, but it's also pleasant. It, 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 it doesn't seem to be dukkha. And so the, the biggest problem with, with the heaven realms and the hell realms are not so much... Um, the state itself, but in the heaven realm, there's so little dukkha that there's no incentive to practice. There's no incentive to to wake up, and there's there's often no sense because the lifespan is so so long. There's a sense of immortality, so the heavenly messenger of death doesn't show. The heavenly messenger of illness doesn't show. The heavenly messenger of aging doesn't show. And so there isn't the stimulus to, to practice, to explore. And in the, in the hell realm, there's so much suffering, there's so much dukkha, that there just isn't the space for practice. And so the, so the, the human realm is, seemed, is seen to be as the best form of rebirth. And, and this is used um, amongst the Asians as kind of the, the carrot and the stick. The carrot is, okay, you've been born as a human, and the stick is, you better make the best of it. <laughs> and then there's also, there's also the, uh, the animal realm. So we can be, can be reborn into an animal realm, to be reborn as, as an animal. And the, the, Tibetans, um, the Tibetans say that um, dogs that are born in or near a monastery are naughty monks who have been <laughs> reborn as dogs. <laughs> so they're, so, so the, the blessing of having been a monk is that they're born in a monastery. <laughs> but from not being such a great monk, they're born as a dog. <laughs> so we can be reborn as a, as a, as a, in, the, in an animal realm. And an animal realm is probably not as bad as a, as a hell realm or even as a, as a heavenly realm, but definitely not as good as a, as a human realm. So this is, this is, this is basically the, the cosmology. And then the, the, the Tibetans have, have a drawing that perhaps you've seen called the Wheel of Life. Uh, and, um, and basically it's, it's a, a large disc and it's being held with two hands and two feet by a character called Yama. And Yama is the Lord of Death. And so, um, so, so Yama, Yama is, um, 
figuratively is 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 the one or the thing or the energy or whatever that kind of reviews your life with you. And Yama is holding this disc, and in in the in the drawing, the disc is divided into three sections. There's an outer ring and a middle section and a and a, a core. And at the core is um, a rooster, a snake, and a pig. And the rooster, the snake, and the pig represent greed, hatred, and delusion. And greed, hatred, and delusion are the forces that drive our unskillful thoughts, speech, and actions. And so greed, hatred, and delusion are the main forces that kind of propel our re-becoming. So they propel, they, it's, it's greed, hatred, and delusion that actually propel the rebirth. So greed, hatred, and delusion determine the graspings and the pushings away. And then, the so that's in the core. And then the outer, and, and, and they show them the, the, um, the, the, the rooster, the snake, and the pig are chasing each other. <laughs> And so it shows how these three, all of these three, greed, hatred, and delusion, all work together. And they all influence one another, and they actually multiply one another. And then the outer ring <coughs> is a series of drawings that, that shows, um, that, that depicts cause and effect. It depicts how one thing leads to another, to another, to another. And the essence of it is depicting how, how birth leads to dukkha. And how birth leads to death, and death leads to rebirth. And it's shown in a circle. And when you look at the totality of the circle, you see how we end up just going round and round and round. The rounds of birth and death and rebirth and death and rebirth and keep going. And, and the only way out is to break the cycle through, through the ending, the eradication, the elimination of greed, hatred, and delusion. And to a very large extent, this is what the practice is directed at. The practice is directed at exploring, exploring to see where's the dukkha and where's what's behind it, what's behind the dukkha. What's supporting the dukkha? And we see that it's these, these forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. Desire, aversion, and delusion, or ignorance. And that's what keeps us going. And, and this, is, this is where one of the questions that was written was about karma. And I, I, I don't generally talk about karma. It's a very difficult subject to talk about. Uh, but the word karma means action. And karma is basically actions that arise out of greed, hatred, and delusion, and therefore perpetuate becoming and re-becoming. Some people talk about good karma and bad karma, but in a, in a sense, there's no such thing as good karma. <laughs> because all karma is perpetuating the re-becoming. So the, 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 the main part of this drawing, the main part of this drawing is drawings depicting the different realms. And so there's, the, there's the, the human realm up here, and there's the animal realm down here, and there's the hell realms here, and there's the heaven realms here. And, and they're all in quite distinct segments 
Um, and, and so they're showing the, the different possibilities for rebirth, and usually they're drawn in great detail. Even the hell realms are in great detail. And um, and the 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 good news that they put into the into this drawing is that in each of the segments, so even in the hell realm and in the heaven realm, where practice is so difficult and liberation, enlightenment is so difficult, in each of them they draw a bodhisattva. So a bodhisattva is um, is a is a Buddha to be. A bodhisattva is a highly realized being who's able to teach. So even in so in in all of the realms there are teachers, and if people wish to and are for have the, have the good fortune, they'll meet a teacher. And so there's always the possibility of the next birth being in a better realm. Okay, so if you're reborn in a hell realm, you're not stuck. So this is this is the basic um, the basic cosmology. Now this this disc this painting and the, the that uh, Yama is holding and Yama is this fierce looking character who has claws and fangs and um, usually a black or dark blue face and not a not a nice looking character and he's the one who's going to kind of judge you and. Um, and he's holding this picture, and so generally it's just seen as a as a picture, and and it's used as a meditation object to reflect on the possibilities. But it's also it's also interpreted as Yama holding a mirror. He's holding a mirror, and it's a clean mirror. And when you look in it, you see your own life. And you see all the different aspects of your own life. And so when you're meditating on the drawing, you're actually meditating on your own life. Okay, so the 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 idea of, of rebirth, of, of being reborn as a as a different in a in a different body and, and rebirth in in, in in these realms also I, I might mention there are also formless beings. So there are beings that have bodies, like we do, and then there are also beings that don't have bodies and are just kind of floating around. And 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 maybe the, this is where the the whole idea of ghosts comes from. Ghosts may be these formless beings. So there's the formless beings and the the form beings. So the way the way that the way that i find easiest for myself to relate to all this is to see it in terms of this disc being the mirror and i look i look in the in the drawing and i see all these different possibilities and i reflect on my own life and i see in my own life at times i wake up in the morning and i feel like i'm in a heaven realm <laughs> And at other times, I wake up in the morning and I feel like I'm in a hell realm. How many have had this experience at different times? You know, and and it, and it can change. You can start out the day feeling in heaven, and then something happens. Mind state changes, and you're in hell. And I think most, probably all of us, have had this experience. And there's there's a there's a wonderful Zen story. Um, the um, the Zen master is in the monastery meditating away, just keeping to himself. And the the samurai warrior 
comes to town with all his hordes of warriors behind him. And they go through the town and they slaughter everyone and destroy the town. And then the, uh, the samurai comes to the monastery and he throws the door open and he comes in and he says to the monk, tell me about heaven and hell. And the monk just sits and doesn't say a word. And the samurai just gets enraged and he says, do you realize I can kill you in this instant? Tell me about heaven and hell. And the samurai still doesn't say a word. And the, the, the Zen monk doesn't say a word. And the samurai then lifts his sword and he's just bright red with rage and he's just about to swing his sword down and kill the Zen master. And the Zen master says, that's hell. And the samurai stops and lowers his sword and the Zen master says, that's heaven. From one moment to the next, being reborn from heaven, from hell into heaven. And it works the other way too. From one moment to the next, we can be reborn from hell into heaven. And so, so considering, considering rebirth, I don't think requires necessarily considering some future life. Um, we, can, we can certainly consider it, we can, we can read about it, we can study it, we can, um, we can appreciate it, but we can't really know it. But we can know in our own lives the... the um, the capacity for transformation in an instant from one state of being to another. We can know the we can know the the um, the, uh, the, uh, the possibility, the actual ability to to transform from one instant to the next from between such contrasting states. And we can see, when we give attention, we can see that these states, however they are, arise dependent on conditions. And they pass dependent on conditions. So just as in considering rebirth, the, the rebirth is conditioned by the past life. And, and in being conditioned by the past life, it's conditioned by what happens right in the moment preceding death. It's conditioned by that last moment of one life, but it's also conditioned by pre all the preceding events of that past life. And so the conditions in, in any moment, the conditions for how we arise, the conditions for how we arise in any minute include the conditions of the moment right before, but it also includes all our past experiences and our past ideas, our past thoughts things that have happened to us, things that we've done, things that we've thought. All of this, all of this becomes conditions. The, the effect, so one of, one of the, um, one aspect of, of karma is, karma is, is action, as I said. So it's basically cause and effect. It's saying that all our actions have effects, but the effects don't always show immediately. And one, one aspect of it is that we, we really don't know when the effects are going to show. And so it's really important that we pay attention to our actions, 
to pay attention to our actions, to be mindful of our actions, to to act as much as possible from an absence of greed, hatred, and delusion, so that we speak and think and act skillfully. And and this will perhaps determine a future birth, but it will determine our next birth, our next moment of birth, our next moment of becoming. In fact, the 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 Buddha the Buddha was asked about one time when he was asked about rebirth. Um, the Buddha said, "Well, it's it's really important to practice and to die peacefully." And he said, "Because." And, and this, this is an interesting statement. He said, if there is a rebirth, then dying peacefully will condition that. And then he goes on and he says, if there is no rebirth, then you'll die peacefully. And that's and that's all that matters. And and so in this discourse, he kind of leaves it open. He he gives both both possibilities. In in most discourses, when the Buddha is asked about rebirth, he, 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 definitely, he definitely points to rebirth. Um, there, there are several, there's, there are a number of discourses where Ananda, the Buddha's attendant, comes to the Buddha and he says, oh, monk so-and-so just died. What's happened to him? <laughs> where's, where's he being reborn? And, 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 the, and, the Buddha will, and the Buddha will say, well, because he did this and this and this and this and this happened in his life, he's been reborn in this and this state. And then, and then the Buddha says, but Ananda, please don't keep coming and asking me this. It's wearisome. <laughs> so he's, he's telling Ananda, Ananda, it's not that important. It's not so important to, to worry about who's been reborn where and why and how and, and all of that. It's again, it's just come back to this, just, you know, just live and die peacefully. And then, and then it will all take care of itself. So, where was I? <laughs> So for me, the what, what's what's important is to is to look at rebirth in the constant in in the context of the moment to moment arisings and passings in this very lifetime, and and seeing how one moment conditions the next and how our actions condition the rebirth, the rebecoming, and and I spoke the other night in the context of the aggregates about how we are rebecoming in each moment, in each moment, dependent on the contacts, dependent on the memories, we're re-becoming. And each, each moment, in, in, in essence, there's a new me being created. And that new me is being created, it's arising and passing away from moment to moment to moment, so quickly. It's, it's, it's just like the rebirth, there's, there's, a, there's a new me in each moment, conditioned by the past, but not the same as the past.
So I'd like to um, look at, uh, a little bit more at, at, at this, this idea of, of rebirth. Uh, so rebirth implying that something dies and is reborn, implying a passing which gives rise to a new arising. And I'd like to look at it in, a, in another way, a little bit different way, and in the context of this retreat. So we probably have the idea that the retreat started last Friday, and maybe with some sadness, maybe with some joyful anticipation, we have the idea that tomorrow the retreat's going to end. So there's, so there's a sense of a beginning and an end. And I think it's worth looking at this idea of beginning and end. So the beginning being the birth, the end being the death. So we're looking tomorrow at the death of the retreat. And I think it's useful to look at these, these, these ideas of birth and death. And so if we look first at the birth of the retreat, the beginning of the retreat, we can say the retreat began. When did it begin? When did the retreat begin? Did the retreat begin when uh, last Friday evening when we all gathered here and Gail began to speak? Or did the retreat begin when you arrived here and moved into your room? Or did the retreat begin when you sent in your registration? Or did it begin when you saw somewhere that there was a retreat happening? Or did it begin when TNI put out its schedule about a year ago? Or did it begin almost 20 years ago? <laughs> When, when we decided that every year in May we would have a retreat here at the Ecology Retreat Center. There, there are countless possibilities, countless possible moments that we could pick out and say, this is the beginning. Some people, um, people who left on Monday after doing the weekend retreat, some of them on Monday said, I feel like the retreat's just beginning. And maybe tomorrow some of you will be thinking that. It's just beginning. When does the retreat actually begin? We can't, we can, we can, we can pick out a moment and say this is the beginning, but it's so arbitrary. And when we look at it, what we see is that there's been a chain of events, and one event becomes the condition for the next event, and that in turn becomes the condition for the next event. And that becomes the condition for the next event. So in one sense, the, the retreat is a series of rebirths. It just, just, the thought just came to me. Yeah, I, um, many of you know, I take a group on pilgrimage to India every year. And... Um, and the group that's going this year, it's been quite quite interesting. Um, a year before the pilgrimage was starting, so last October, I started getting emails from them. What do I need to take with me? <laughs> What's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? And, and I emailed back and I said, you see, the pilgrimage has already begun. <laughs> 
a year ahead. So, so this choosing a point where it begins is so arbitrary. So from one perspective, we could say the retreat is a series of arisings and passings, arisings and passings, arisings and passings. And there isn't really a beginning point. And so we could perhaps question from that, is there a beginning of the retreat? Is there a birth? And then we can look at the end of the retreat tomorrow. We can say, when does the retreat end? You know, maybe some of you today have been thinking about packing. Maybe some of you have already packed. <laughs> thinking about packing, thinking about what's going to happen when you get home, thinking about um, about your um, your family that was left at home, thinking about after the retreat. You know, I got a I got a note asking about books to read after the retreat. Maybe starting to think about how can I do this in my daily life. Maybe the retreat's already finished. You know, the mind is so far in the future. Where's the retreat? So on a more kind of a practical level, we can say, well, does the retreat end with the final bell at whatever time it is? 11.30, I think, or 11? Or does the retreat end when we have lunch? Or does it end when you get in your car and drive away? Does it end when you walk in the door and step back into your so-called real life? There was a, a retreat I taught in uh, in India. There was a guy on the retreat, and he left the retreat, just got nothing from it. It was, you know, there's just no point in even being there. And several years later, I got a I got a, a letter from him, and something something had showed. He just had some insight or some realization, some awakening that he linked to the retreat years before. And he wrote me and he said, those were the most important days of my whole life. So for him, years later, the retreat was still happening. You know, maybe, maybe some of you, hopefully all of you, I would, I would hope this for, for all of us, maybe on this retreat, in these days here, there will be some insight, some understanding that will impact on your life in such a way that you'll impact on others for the rest of this lifetime and possibly even beyond. The retreat carries on. There's no death. very important to to consider this, to consider this, and to consider it in the context of your own being and your own becoming. When were you born? Were you born at the time when the body popped out? Were you born at the time of conception? Were you born sometime prior to that? When do you die? If it's true that there's rebirth, have you really died? 
Maybe there is no birth, no death. Earlier in the retreat, I read the, um, the Buddha's description of dukkha. Dukkha being birth, aging, sickness, death, not getting what we want, getting what we don't want, separation from what we love. And then in summary, if you remember this, he said, in summary, dukkha is the five aggregates fueled by clinging. Dukkha is the five aggregates fueled by clinging. And we tend to look for we look for comfort. <coughs> we look for comfort. We look for ease. We look for safety. We look for security in things. In things. We look for all of this in tangible things like our our homes, our cars, our partners, our friends, our communities, our schools, our jobs. We look to all of these for security, for stability, for happiness. We look to ideas and beliefs and concepts for security. But when we look closely, as we've, as we've talked about so much during this retreat, during these days, all of these things arise and pass. They're all impermanent and they're all conditioned. And because they're all impermanent and conditioned, they're unreliable. We can't rely on these things for security, for safety, for happiness, for peace. We can get some temporary sense from them all, but we can't rely on them because they'll all change and we don't know when or how or why. The other thing that we look to security for is ourselves. We look to our own identity. We build an identity and, and we give that identity a continuity to give us stability. And then we say, well, I'm this type of person. Or I'm not this type of person. And then sometimes something happens. I say something. I say, oh, that's not the real me. <laughs> you know, we, we, we create this identity and we hold on to the identity. And this, this holding on fuels and perpetuates or tries to, it fuels the attempt to perpetuate that which is changing. And inherent in that is dukkha. Anything we hold on to, anything we hold on to, anything that has come into existence, if we try to hold on to it, we're doomed. Whether it's an object, an inanimate thing, an idea, or the sense of me, myself.
one of the major thrusts of the of the meditation practice is to explore things including this thing to really deeply profoundly come to know and understand these characteristics of impermanence of conditionality and of unreliability and the effect the effect of of really getting this <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the effect of, of really getting this is, as Molly quoted the Buddha last night, we begin to lose the fascination with these things. And as we begin to lose the fascination, we begin to lose the, the faith in these things that they'll bring us happiness and security and, and peace and, and all of that. And as we as we lose that faith, when there's when there's a when there's a foundation, a foundation of steadiness and calmness, a steadiness of ease with all of that, then we can start to just turn away from it, turn away from all these things that we cling to, just to release them and to turn away, and in that in the turning away. In the turning away is the possibility, the possibility in the complete dropping of all these things, not throwing them out, but just in a relaxation that drops them, is the possibility of knowing the deathless, the unchanging, that which is not born that which is unconditioned. And the Buddha points over and over and over again that true liberation, true freedom of body, heart, and mind is not in getting rid of the things, not in holding on to the things. It's not in the things at all. It's in the knowing of the deathless. So let's sit quietly together for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.